Isaiah chapter 30. Let's turn there together. We're studying various aspects of prayer. And one of the most difficult for us as the Lord's people is the, in the area of prayer is waiting. But we must. It is the Lord's will. Let's begin reading there in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 30. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel but not of me. I wonder tonight where you get your counsel. And that covereth with a covering but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. That walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. For his princes were Zoan and his ambassadors came to Hanes. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them nor be in help nor profit but a shame and also a reproach. The burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish. From whence come the young and the old lion, the viper, the fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to people that shall not profit them. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Always when we seek that which is not the Lord's will, it is vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. Now go, write it before them in a table, and note it in a book. That repetition is the importance of it. We often say, write this down where you keep your important messages. Our Lord is saying, write it on a table, write it in a book. That it may be for time to come forever and ever. So this word was not only for that audience, but it is for us tonight. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Is that not what people tell their pastors today? Don't tell us what we need to hear. Tell us what we want to hear. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant." And he shall break it as the breaking of a potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it assured to take fire from the hearth or to take water with all out of the pit. It will be good for nothing, just broken pieces of pottery. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, repentance and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. But you said, No, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall ye flee. And we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. 
One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, at the rebuke of five shall you flee, till you be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain and as an ensign on a hill. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you, for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. What a verse. What a portion of scripture. In Isaiah chapter 30, we have a record of God's Old Testament people, Judah, earnestly desiring to be delivered from their enemies. These enemies were the Assyrians, a notorious, fierce, gruesome people who had great massive armies outnumbering any of their foes. They were taking over kingdom after kingdom, even their neighboring divided counterpart, Israel. You'll remember that Israel had been divided by now into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And you might refer to Judah as the believing remnant. The prophet Isaiah gave them the word of the Lord. In a time of national disaster, it is wonderful when God's messengers can tell God's people what they should do. It is not that Israel is devoid of a a prophet. God has sent them Isaiah, and he's given them a message they do not want to hear. The message is quite simple. Uh, A child can understand it, although children have trouble with it too. It was a one-word message, or we could summarize it into one word. Wait. Wait. Stay where you are. I will be greatly glorified by giving you victory and protection and all that you need and only that can come from the Lord if you stay put so that I can show your enemies that I am the Holy One of Israel. I am the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the creator and the sustainer of all things. The inhabitants of Jerusalem should stay put. Verse 15, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Returning in rest shall you be saved. Resting and being saved? Well, it's a time of national calamity. It's a time of disaster and war. We need to run for for hiding. We need to go to, to Egypt for help. Egypt will save us. They were rebellious and, and would not pay attention to God's prophet. They determined then to follow their fears instead of obeying God's word. Isn't that a foolish thing to do? I'm scared. This is what it looks like. I'll just follow my fears instead of obeying God's prophet Isaiah. And so they ran to Egypt for protection. You'll know by now in the study of the word of God that Egypt is a picture of the world. Abraham's mistake was when famine came in the place where God had led him, famine came. In the place of God's will for your life, there will become times of testing and trial, yes, even famine, fearful things as the Assyrians breathing down their necks, nowhere to turn, things beyond your control, beyond being fixed by the normal round of life, calling out to the Holy One of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These things come to the people of God, even in the perfect will of God, yea, especially in the perfect will of God. Egypt is always a type of the world in the Scriptures. Woe to these rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel. They took counsel. 
there's always someone to give you advice. You don't have any want of advice, people telling you what to do. But where notice the source of the counsel. Where do they get the information they're giving you? There's only one sure place to get counsel, and that is from the Lord himself. And God has not left us without a word, has he? He's not left us without directions. He's not left us without counsel any more than Israel was at this time. He sent them personally, a prophet to them, a preacher to them, saying, Wait, I'm going to do glorious things in your midst, in my time, and in my way. They should have known by now. Remember when Pharaoh chased them from Egypt, and as they crossed over the Red Sea, the Lord stayed Pharaoh's forces from being able to get near them? All through the night, the children of Israel crossed over. Not one of Pharaoh's horses or armed men could come near them. The invisible power of God kept them at bay and uh, allowed the, the children of Israel to get across safely. They knew that. They even wrote a hymn in honor of it. Remember the song of Moses after they crossed over? The riders cast into the sea. Pharaoh and his armies are, are drowned in the sea. And what a marvelous and glorious victory they had. Let me ask us tonight, with all the voices, and I'm speaking of news and, and philosophers and talk show hosts, and they're, they're innumerable, and counselors are ready to tell us what to do. Where do you get your counsel? I'm afraid that even God's people, as Israel did at this time, are listening to wrong counselors. Do they give you counsel from the Word of God, or is it just from this philosophy of the world's system. As we see here, it will profit nothing. It is vain. It is futile. Here God's people rushed, which is always our tendency to do. Somebody do something. Let's run. You know, that's a good idea. The enemy's here. Let's run. They rushed when they should have reverenced. They ran when they should have reclined right where they were and rested in all they had. What was it that they had? God's word. You have nothing less or nothing more than Israel had at this time, or Judah had at this time. We have the very word of God. And I would submit to you, church, that we're more blessed. We have the complete canon of Scripture. We have all that God ever wanted man to know. There's no adding to this book. In fact, there's a curse for anyone who would try to add or subtract from it. We serve a God who has told us everything he wants us to know until we stand before him complete. If there was something else we needed to know, he would have told us. And so he told them to wait. Because they would not wait. Do you know what God did? Because they would not wait, he waited. Have you ever noticed how he does that in our praying? We pray for a while and we think, well, I'll just, I'll just have to do something about this. God is not listening or is not concerned. and we, we have some kind of reasoning that gets us to the place. I'll just have to take action. And uh, because... We do not wait. It, have you ever noticed how that does not hurry God, your impertinence, your rushing to, to work it out? He, he still waits. And for an unspiritual person, for a fleshly person, that aggravates us. We get even more perturbed and go to other lengths of trying to work out things that only God can work out. And so because they would not rest in him, he waited. He allowed the circumstances to get dire, to get worse. And he allowed their rebellious choices to catch up with them. For the thorny seeds to take root and to bear its thorny fruit, allowing them to reap their rebellion. 
Oh, what a promise. I hope you mark verse 18. You've heard me refer to it often, but I just thought we needed to bring it out and look at it again. It's one of the choicest jewels in the jewel box of God. It's one of the most precious promises that God's people should take out and hold up to the light of God's word and see the prism of God's grace go through it. And therefore will the Lord wait. That's not what we want him to do, is it? We want him to do something, move, act, help, answer. Therefore, though, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that run around like a chicken with their head cut off. Is that what it says? Blessed are all they that wait for him. The Lord had promised his people victory. What you need to know, he had already told them that they would be victorious. That adds insult to injury, doesn't it? God had given them, I will fight your battles. Remember, he told them as they went into the land of promise. There shall be no enemy victorious over you as long as you trust me. If you do not go into idolatry, there was conditions to that. But they never did totally rout the enemy, did they? They tried to coexist when God told them to drive them all out. And so it is with us tonight as well. Our Canaan is this Christian life. It is the, the sanctification process from now to heaven. And there, there are giants to slay, giants of unbelief and lust and uh, uh, worry and fearfulness, all kinds of giants at different various stages in our pilgrimage journey that raise their ugly heads and breathe out threatenings and scare us. And we want to do what? Run to Egypt. Run somewhere to get help. There are strongholds to conquer in our Christian lives. Habits, mindsets, we're to cast down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There's work to be done. Canaan is not heaven. Heaven is heaven. Canaan is the promises of this life, a life of blessing, oh yes, a life of provision. Have you not found it so, child of God? Has God not provided for you in this Canaan, this time of, from the time you've been saved until this hour? Oh, it may not have been everything you wanted or desired, but uh, we certainly cannot say the Lord has ever failed us. And there have been dark days, haven't there? There have been times when our heads have been heavy, bowed low. We've been prostrated at times on our, our faces or on our backs, beds of affliction, Burdens overshadowing us, mountains in right in front of us that we could not move, uh, chasms that we could not cross. But the Lord was there. The Lord is here. Wait. Therefore will the Lord wait. Their strength was to wait on the Lord. Now, we don't view that as strength. And in our praying, you will find, if you pray very much at all, you'll find that there are times of silence. Not all the answers come immediately. In fact, rarely do they. Sometimes God waits. Often he waits. It's not that he does not hear. He hears, he sees, he records, and he's working his sovereign will. There's another verse in Isaiah 28, verse 16 that says this, He that believeth shall not make haste. He that is trusting in the Lord, taking him at his word, will not rush to Egypt, will not rush we, we rush to obey the Lord. We never rush to disobey Him, do we? We never rush to have our own way. He that believeth shall not make haste. Sometimes our desire to take matters into our own hands and in our frantic determination to, to free ourselves from all unpleasantness, 
We live in such a spoiled society, spoiled a wealthy day. The poorest of us are wealthy. We, we studied about Haiti just a moment ago. The poorest in our country are wealthy to those people. I've been in their homes. I, I've visited with them. I've eaten with them. And I see the circumstances. But we don't want any unpleasantness, anything, any pain, any trouble, anything to interrupt our schedule. But have you noticed how the Lord weaves these things in our lives anyway? whether we like it or not. And often we in our rebellion and refusing to wait on the Lord and not being submissive to his will, what does he do? He waits. Our Lord is a God of patience, and aren't you glad that he is? Let me just ask you, how long did he wait on you before you repented and believed on Jesus Christ? Oh, how many times did you hear the gospel? How often did the Holy Spirit knock at your door? How often did you sit in churches and hear gospel messages and Sunday school lessons? Many of us raised in church and, and before we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank the Lord that he does wait. He would be just to condemn every person on earth to hell immediately. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Every time a baby's born, they're born a sinner and God would be just to send us all to hell, but he doesn't do that. He graciously waits and sends us preachers and mothers to pray over us and grandmothers and Sunday school teachers and next-door neighbors. I remember as a little boy, a dear preacher's wife came to our door, knocked on the door and brought a track and left the, left the track. Coming to our house, one of the first memories I have of someone coming and, and visiting and taking her time and coming and knocking on the door and, and talking to us. I want you to know that God's promises are steadfast and sure. There's nothing wrong about a single promise in, in the Word of God. They've all been vouched. They've all been tested. They're backed by the eternal God of the universe and all the resources of heaven. Did he not say, my God will supply all of your need from where? From your bank account? Aren't you glad that's not the case? From, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Behind all the promises of God are all the resources of God, all the power of God, all the, the knowledge of God. And every promise in this book, like this one that we're reading tonight, therefore will the Lord wait. Isn't that a promise? That he may be gracious unto us. I hope this will encourage us in our praying. These promises have been tried and true. Thousands of years have God's people leaned and rested their head on this verse. You may have just found it tonight, but the people of God have been turning here over and over and over again. Lord, you're waiting, so I know that you're going to be gracious unto me and to my family and hear us. Our part, and sometimes it is the hardest thing, although all of us can do it, doesn't take a degree in theology, doesn't take a whole lot of Bible knowledge to wait, does it? takes a whole lot of patience and help and grace from the Lord. But guess what? Wherever there's a, prom a command of God, there's always the divine enablement to do what he tells us to do. Our God is so gracious, if he says, wait, then there's grace ready to help us through that. Then that's what he told Paul. No, I'm not going to remove the thorn. Oh, remove it now. Don't you know that, Paul, I could be a better preacher. I could be a better apostle. I could establish more churches. Don't you know he had a laundry list from here to the street of how much better he'd be if God removed that thorn out of his life and God said, no, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to give you grace sufficient to endure that thorn. Our selfishness demands that our desires be immediately fulfilled, but God doesn't spoil his children like we do. He waits. He teaches us by his graciousness 
and that God's people will, will do uh, what our, our, our text exp- prescribes for us, waiting on the Lord. To rush from waiting on the Lord is to leave his guidance and to start being leaning on our own devices. Now, let me ask you, how has that worked in the past? You'd think we'd learn from past experiences, wouldn't you? But we're, we're quick to forget. Israel should have looked back to, to, as I've already mentioned, their deliverance from Egypt to start with. Why would you go back to a place that God had delivered you from? Now, does that make good sense? I don't know a whole lot, but who wants to go back to be a slave in Egypt? Egypt was never the friend of Israel. I want you to know that. And this world has never been the friend of God's people. This world could care less about your uh, salvation or the promise that we're, we're treasuring tonight. Know nothing about it. Don't know anything about waiting or asking God to supply a need or to help or to give us the grace as he promised to help us wait. And so I want you to notice here in verse 18 what the Lord's waiting had in store for his people. And I want to remind us that God's treasures cannot be rushed. How long does it take to make a diamond or gold or, the, or a pearl or those things that men treasure? And how long does it take to develop those uh, graces in our lives that are so precious and that will endure to the end? His gifts cannot be purchased. His, with our frantic finagling and, and flurry of activity doesn't make one of God's diamond promises. Not one of the sapphires of God's blessings can be rushed by our impertinence. I see here an exquisite choice benefits that only the Lord can provide. They are literal. They are real benefits from the Lord. Therefore, will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. Now, I want you to look at that word wait. It's an ugly word in our estimation. Waiting. We don't want to wait for anything. Oh, we're so impatient. We heard it as a child. When are we going to the park? When are we going, you know, wait, just to wait. Our mother would say, wait, it's not time yet. Oh, we've never liked to wait. But this word is a, is a very unusual word in the scripture. And I, when you study it in the Hebrew, it has the idea of the connotation of elaborate artwork. Now, we have some artists in our, our congregation tonight, and they'll tell you it takes uh, time and time to create something of beauty. The, the indication here is it's something that, that took time to carve. And you can imagine something carved out of marble. Can you imagine uh, seeing a, a, a piece of marble and seeing an angel or whatever the artist sees behind it? And I think it may have been anecdotal, but someone asking Michelangelo, you know, how do you do that? You know, how do you, how do you look at a, a, a chunk of marble and uh, get an angel out of it? You just take away everything that doesn't look like an angel. It was a response. Well, that sounds easy, doesn't it? But that is certainly not. But the idea of waiting on the Lord is an intricate, beautiful masterpiece. Something that's being carved intricately and uh, very, very carefully to, to portray something, to set in print. And it may even... Uh, have the idea of an engraver when they used to engrave in copper the picture and then they would make a print of that, how, how long it would take. And it was an exact print of the picture they were making, which they used to do. So the idea of waiting is not wasteful, is it? It's not idleness. We usually think of wait, waiting as something just very trivial. But God is working on a masterpiece. And it takes these kinds of things to do that. The Lord never wastes. Can you imagine the Lord wasting Now, we're wasteful creatures, but God never wastes anything. He never wastes any experience in your life, 
Anything that he's allowed to happen in your life, he will take to perfect you and to conform you to the image of his son. Now, remember, the Lord is working on us. That's his goal, to conform us to the image of his son. So he's working on a masterpiece. The Lord Jesus Christ is perfection, isn't he? And one day we'll wake up in, in perfection and glory. And so he's working on us intricately, carving, putting pressure here, taking away this there that doesn't look like the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's painful. I'm sure if the marble could tell you that chopping and chiseling and knocking, it doesn't feel good, but uh, it doesn't in our lives, the, the sculpting that God is doing, molding as on a potter's wheel, designing. Uh, we're to wait submissively while he does that, while he designs and molds and makes for, out of us what he's already determined to do. Do you think you're going to get God to do something other than what he's already in eternity past determined to do with your life? He determined to save you, didn't he? Did he not save you? Here you are, redeemed, knowing the Lord. Well, is he not continuing to work on that plan from uh, eternity past to bring to pass all that he's promised he would do? Waiting on the Lord is actually serving him. It's not idleness. Think about Moses waiting 40 years before he was able or fit, we might say. Mind you, he'd already been trained at all the universities of, of Egypt. If that's where you should go, Moses would have already been qualified. Oh, no. God had to, to let him go and, and tend sheep because guess what he was going to do? Pastor God's sheep, his people. And he needed experience of how to do that until he was ready to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. David, I think of David all those years collecting the the, the, the materials for building the temple a lifetime he spent doing that that was not idleness was it he waited he yearned he longed to build it himself god had other plans but the collecting the collating the going from afar to bring the wood and all the materials to build the temple was not an idle job i think of paul 14 years training carving on from the lord to become the apostle to the gentiles took God more work on Paul than any of the other disciples. Isn't that amazing? But Paul wrote more of the New Testament, didn't he? Unfolded the mysteries of God of eternity past for the church that the other prophets never knew about. We see four choice treasures that come from obediently waiting from the Lord. First of all, we see God's graciousness to us. The word gracious has the idea of a superior stooping down in kindness to an inferior. We see a teacher, a beautiful picture of a teacher. A little boy needs his shoes tied. And she says, come here, son, let me help you with your shoes. Stooping down and help that, that little one who needs help can't do that, can't do it for himself. It has the connotation of, of a favor or bestowing a favor to move uh, by petition. Maybe the little one says, can you help me with this? And the adult says, well, sure, come here. I'll help you with that. Our Lord sees our plight. He sees what we have need of. He condescends to help us. He comes to us. He, he will take on a body like ours and to bear our sins and to pay our awful debt to God's holiness. See how he comes down to us, how gracious he is. He moves in gracious favor to answer our petitions. He waits that he may be gracious to us. Now, Jesus Christ didn't come in bodily form until the fullness of time. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, the greatest gift of all gifts. 
He orchestrates all the resources. He waited until there was a seizure on the throne that called for a census to call Mary and Joseph to go back to where Micah had prophesied hundreds of years before that thou will be born in Bethlehem. God is always orchestrating, always at work to bring to pass the answer to the prayer that you're going to pray. In grace, he saves us. We've already mentioned that. In grace, he keeps us, and in grace, he will answer us. Not only do we see the gift of graciousness, and we could, we could talk about that now, from now until the Lord comes back, couldn't we? But we also see, secondly, the Lord exalted before us. Now, one of the great desires of a genuine child of God is to see the Lord exalted. Don't we yearn to see him enthroned as he should be? We often sing that he'll be king of kings and lord of lords. Every knee will bow, every tongue confessing him instead of cursing him as the world does. We hear his name taken in vain almost every day, don't we? We hear people use the Lord's name as a byword. Use it in every way imaginable except in prayer or praise. We long to see every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't we long to see him exalted? One of the ways he exalts himself is in his gracious waiting in our lives. Others look and say, how can they bear up under that? How can they be so patient? How can they just sit and wait? How can they go through such dark waters? They must have a God in heaven. They must have resources that we don't know about. They must have, I see them go to church and pray and trust the Lord. They read his word. Verse 18 tells us, therefore he will be exalted. How? And us waiting on him. Notice the definiteness of this promise. He will be exalted. We love these promises. They're so sure and steadfast. When God says he will do something, you rest assured he will do it. He will be exalted. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to his lordship again in due time. Has that happened yet? Now, it hasn't happened yet, has it? But we're assured of it as if, as if we're standing here tonight. Jesus Christ will be praised. He will reign from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Every knee will bow. He will be seen by every person who's ever lived as the, the Lord and Savior of the universe. God the Father is waiting to exalt His Son in due time. Well, it, in absolute worldwide resplendent glory and honor. Until then, though, while He is waiting, you know what He's doing? He's building and dressing and furnishing and completing his son's bride, the church. Oh, it's an intricate, beautiful work of art that he's, going to, that he's doing. And will be presented one day without spot or blemish. But I must confess to you, even in our salvation, we see spots and blemishes, don't we? Oh, we, we've stained the robe of righteousness that he's put on us. So we have to come for cleansing, and he's working on his church. He's perfecting his church. He's waiting that he may be gracious. One of the great things in the unveiling of the Son is that his bride will be unveiled for all to see and marvel at. Exalted here has the idea of uplifting and promoting, raising up. To set up tall, high and lifted up prominently. Don't we long to see Jesus Christ high and lifted up prominently? He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And one of the ways that Jesus is lifted up is in the, the, our lives, our waiting, our praying and, and uh, going before him. Others knowing that we have burdens and situations and mountains and things that that we can't 
take care of on our own. Oh, but our Lord is exalted and lifted up. We exalt Him by our patient obedience. Oh, it's not a showy thing. It's preaching or going and building a hospital somewhere, as important as those things are. But think about obedience. What a, what a, a prize obedience is. It's one of the telltale signs that we are the children of God. Our patient obedience, submitting to Him. As Eli said when he got the news that God was going to take his sons, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him right. That kind of submission, though it crosses the very heart of a father, our submission to waiting on him to do what he alone can do. We wait on the answers to prayer. They do not cause us to cease from praying. We keep on because we know if he's waiting, why? It is to be gracious and so that he can be exalted in a way that could not be exalted by us running to the world to get help. Running to Egypt? Oh, never. We wait for our petitions to come to pass. Our hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. And all of God's children desire him to be exalted. We sing, may Jesus Christ be praised. It is the Lord, let him do what seemeth good. But not only do we see God's graciousness to us, but a second choice treasure that we get from waiting is uh, that the God is exalted before us. We've asked that and prayed for that. But a third thing is that, is, uh, that it, we see in God's waiting is that a, a precious and exquisite treasure that we see here is our Lord's mercy. Notice that he says there in verse 18 that he may have mercy upon you. Now, this word in the Hebrew has a very tender connotation. It literally means to fondle or massage or caress, to show compassion to someone who's aching or hurting. As a father or mother has a special touch for their children, which brings a smile, a special touch that that child uh, knows and, and, and is treasured. And the Lord does that. Oh, how we need his mercy. Is, is a picture of, of taking and rubbing a sore place or massaging or helping in this a very merciful way. And we need that for our Lord to compassionately caress our tired souls. We get weary in this pilgrimage, don't we? We get soul weary. It's one thing to get weary in body, but we can, the inner man can get weary as, too, as well. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, but we often do. If we ignore this precept to wait on the Lord, Oh, we can run in our own flesh tonight, and that'll take you about as far as you can go, <laughs> and that's not too far. You run out to the end of your tether. You ever seen a dog on a runner trying to chase the milkman or the garbage? He can get just as far as he can go, and that's all he can go. No matter how as much, to, and he'll just stop right there. I see these people on the south side. I saw a guy the other day. He had three big old dogs on each side, huge dogs. on. And I don't even know how you keep them all untangled. You know, they were just going, but the dogs would try to lurch, and he brought them back in. Well, we can go in our own strength, but it'll only take you so far. What we need, what we're talking about, is something that will let us mount up with wings as eagles. Rise up above the fray. Rise up above what we're going through. Oh, how we need that. He uses the, his tender mercy. He uses the balm of his word and the caressing of his promises to our hearts. Just hearing his word tonight, I can tell, not because I'm giving it to you, it is the word of God. It is like a bomb to your heart, isn't it? Oh, the Lord's word. He will wait. He's going to be gracious. He's going to exalt himself. And my Savior will be praised in my life. The rejuvenating presence of the Holy Spirit's abiding presence. He ministers the word to us. He comes to us in worship. 
in precious, soothing ways. William Cooper, the hymn writer and friend of Isaac Watts himself, was often, if you remember, was overwhelmed by debilitating depression and, and mental anguish. But he wrote some of the choicest hymns in the hymn book. The one you're most familiar with is that beautiful, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. There came a time in Cooper's life that he actually had to live with his pastor. And his pastor, Isaac Watts, took care of him. But in that time, he wrote some of the most beautiful uh, hymns. And one you may not be as familiar with is this one. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after rain. In holy contemplation, we sweetly then pursue the theme of God's salvation and find it ever new. Set free from present sorrow, we cheerfully can say, even let the unknown morrow bring with it what it may. It can bring with it nothing, but he will bear us through. Who gives the lilies clothing will clothe his people too. Beneath the spreading heavens, no creature but is fed. And he who feeds the ravens will give his children bread. Though vine nor fig tree, neither their wanted fruit should bear. Though all the fields should wither, nor flocks nor herds be there. Yet God the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice. For while in him confiding, I cannot but rejoice. A fourth treasure, not only God's graciousness to us, in his being exalted before us, in his mercy extended to us, but a fourth treasure in waiting on the Lord is God's blessing is given to us in this way. Now, when I say blessing, your ears perk up because we all want a blessing. Oh, we use that word just, uh, just in, in Christian lingo, uh, almost every other statement. We say, oh, the blessing of the Lord. Well, what do we mean by that? We see in the latter part of verse 18, blessed are all they that wait for him. I want to be in that crowd, don't you? I want to be in that number. How is it that they are blessed? Now, the word blessing in the scripture is almost untranslatable. It is so glorious. It is so amazing. It is so beyond our comprehension that words fail us to really translate it. Do you know how it's most often translated in the scriptures? It is most uh, often translated happy. What a little word to translate something so amazing. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the count. Happy. happy. And it, actually, it's a compounded happiness. And as Dr. Phillips would tell us, is happy, happy, happy is the man that walketh not. And whenever you see blessed, the word blessed, you need to say it several times because it is compounded blessing from the Lord. And so we, we, we most often, though, we either define it in the Scripture as blessed or happy. And it's quite simply this. The best way I can describe it is this so that I can understand it, and if I can, hopefully you can as well. It is what God alone can do for his children. A blessing is God-like. It is from the very throne room of heaven. It is the most treasured of treasures. Oh, if you could 
look past the veil of the unseen into the very throne room of God where those blessings are stacked up for God's children, you'd say, that's what I want. I want that, a measure of that. I want a dose of that. I want a wagon load of that. That's what I want. It's a precious gift from God designed only for his own. It is spiritual in nature. Now, sadly, sadly, most people use the word blessings for tangible material blessings. And the worldling, that's where their heart is. But those who really know the Lord know this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And as you notice, if you've ever been to Elmwood Cemetery, the van, Allied van lines doesn't, don't follow the hearses out there. The, the moving van doesn't follow a hearse to the cemetery. You won't, need to, you won't take a thing you have with you when you leave this life. These things, while he does tangibly supply our needs, praise his name, he does. He does give us the manna that we need, the clothes that we need, the, the, the things that we need. But these blessings are almost always spiritual in nature. We often say, look how the Lord has blessed me. Look what the Lord has done. And we point to some provision from the Lord himself. Psalm 2, verse 12, blessed are they that put their trust in him. Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Proverbs 16, 20, He that handleth the matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy. There's that word, blessed is he. Jeremiah 17, verse 17, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope in the hope the Lord is. Proverbs 10, 22, The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and addeth no sorrow with it. That's something the world can't promise, can it? These choice gifts are for those who wait on the Lord patiently, obediently, contentedly, expectantly, continually. Those who rush to Egypt for help will get Egypt's reward, and that's all. Think about it. Oh, maybe protection for a while. But guess what? The enemy is relentless, isn't it? And those who rush to Egypt will get Egypt's reward, a hollow hope. The Bible talks about broken cisterns and husks instead of the, the water of God's blessing and the, the food, the spiritual food that he gives. We walk by faith, child of God, not by sight. We trust his word, not carnal reasoning. And I remind us all that God will not share his glory with another. If you seek your help and your strength from earthly, worldly sources, don't be surprised to find husk instead of bread or broken, leaking cisterns instead of the streams of living water. Some have not waited on the Lord for salvation. They've run to the world to save them, and they're working on salvation themselves. They think that coming to church, they're earning their way, that God will see them in favor and somehow let them into heaven because of all that they've done instead of waiting upon the Lord, trusting in his word. When God points to the open door, there it is, the Lord Jesus Christ, and says, turn to him and repent and believe on him. Have you waited on the Lord for his true salvation? Or have you in haste taken a false road? Isn't that sad? A false road. There is a way that seemeth right to man, religion, but the end. Where does it end up? The end thereof are the ways of death. But there's a narrow road, and the way to that road that leads to life is Jesus Christ. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Sometimes the Lord waits to be gracious 
to teach us to pray, to force us to pray. I want you to look there again in, in verse 15. For thus the Holy One, uh, thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning in rest shall ye be saved. And then look down uh, at verse 19, the latter part. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. What is the remedy? Lord, I've run to Egypt. will cry to the Lord. Cry out to him. Return to him. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. He's as close as the mention of his name. You've gone to Egypt, you say. Pastor, I, I didn't wait on the Lord. I've run to Egypt. Cry out to him. When he hear it, he will be gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity, he does, doesn't he? When we've gone our own way. And the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore. Remember, they didn't want to listen to their teachers. Remember what we read that? Don't prophesy us, to us of the Lord. Don't tell us what God said. Oh, we don't want to hear that. We've made up our mind. This is what we're going to do. One of God's choices, gifts to the church is not because I'm standing here. It's his teachers, his pastors. He gave some. And then that list of things that he gives. And then he said, had the water of affliction. And he's, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers. You'll hear those who are teaching and instructing. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, This is the way. This is it. Isn't that what we need? God's guidance and will. This is it. This is the way. Walk ye in it when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. Oh, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious unto thee. God's waiting people wait upon God only. What a word for us tonight.